Every once in a while in our church, we have a moment that we focus on prayer right before we go into God's word. We haven't done this in a while because we haven't been together in a while, but uh, sometimes the burden seems so heavy that we just need a moment to cry out to the Lord together. And I want to just take a moment before we get into God's word this morning to do that. No time like the present uh, to just cry out to God and ask him for his his protection and his help and uh, for his intervention in our world today. So I'd ask you if you'd bow your heads and pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning asking, Father, that you would intervene in a very powerful way in our world today. Um, sometimes the darkness seems so thick that we can almost touch it. And sometimes it feels like it overpowers our very soul. Uh, but Lord, remind us that you are in control and that you love us and that you love to work through us, your church. And help us to find ways that we can speak and be your voice in your heart and your hands to those around us. May the church take every advantage. May Village Church East take every advantage to rise up and be the church today. Help us not to join the voices of divisiveness, but help us, Lord, to find unity. Unity in acknowledging and honoring the image of God that we see in each person. Father, I pray that you would help those without a voice or, or who feel like they don't have a voice Father, that they would know we're on we're on their side. We love them, we value them, we, we consider them brothers and sisters because they are valuable and you love them too. And for those who are trying to protect us, Lord, on a regular basis, the police that are out there that are, that are trying to uh, make sure that the bad apples don't rise up, but that uh, protesting can be done uh, in an orderly way. Father, I pray that you protect the police. Thank you for, for the way that they um, are demonstrating their their uh, their love even for the people that sometimes don't treat them so well. And Father, I pray that you would intervene and that you would protect life, uh, life on every side. And Lord, help in the church there not to be sides. There's no sides with you and there's not with us either. And so Father, that you would intervene and bring peace and that we would be your peacemakers, no matter how difficult it is for us to do that we would join in and we would be able to love one another as you loved us. Bless us as we look into your word, Father, for those that are really in need of a word from you. May you speak to them loudly and clearly this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Village Church. Welcome to Village Church Online. You may not know this, but this is our 13th Sunday online. That is a baker's dozen. And I want to introduce you to your production crew who you have not seen for these last 13 Sundays. This is my daughter, Rebecca, and she has done amazing. You should see the, the transformation that goes on in our living room when we tape these things. And so she's the one that does it all for me. She does the production. She does the slides. She's incredible. And uh, I just wanted you to see her. Do you want to say anything? Um, hi. <laughs> There you go. That's why she's behind the camera. All right, thanks, baby. Right. Hey, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're just joining us, welcome. Uh, we are on our 13th Sunday of doing church online. We're excited about particularly next Sunday. Lord willing, we'll be together uh, for our, our first reopening of 2020. And so uh, we'll give you more details on that as the time gets closer. Today, though, we're going to be covering one very important plague of Exodus. I am amazed constantly at how these plagues 
parallel what's going on in our world today. And so I just have one question for this ninth plague. Right before we get to Passover and the 10th plague, we deal with this last plague. And the question that I keep coming up with is, every Egyptian at this point has to ask themselves one question. What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? It is a very difficult question to ask. Sometimes we'll get into new relationships and those relationships will drive us to ask ourselves that question. What if I've been wrong about what I believed about relationships before? Sometimes we'll go through a set of events, a very distressing set of events, and we'll sit down and have to ask ourselves, what if I've been wrong this whole time? Maybe culture, culture constantly wants us to ask this question, hey, listen, Maybe you've been wrong this entire time. Some might call this idea soul searching. And to be honest with you, it is a very difficult thing to go through. It can be a very painful personal process. The question that digs deep into our soul. What if I've been wrong about what I've believed, about what I've said, about the stand that I've taken against an issue or, an, or, a, or a, a cultural uh, item going on in our world today? Today I wanna to introduce you in a brand new way to the ninth plague. Instead of looking at this like, what is God doing? I wanna transfer us around and look at it a little bit differently and ask the question, if you were an Egyptian, how would you be at this point in the plagues? What would you be thinking? What kinds of thoughts would be processing through your skull? How would you deal with all that you've seen and now you get to the ninth plague as an Egyptian, how would you process? This question that must come up for the Egyptians is, why does the world seem so dark at this point? Listen, they've been enjoying a wonderful life. Egypt has been going through prosperity. They've been at the top of the food chain. They have been feared by the nations around them. They have been prosperous economically, largely because of Joseph 400 years earlier, giving them this this foundation for building a strong nation. Other nations around them were scared of them. Life was basically good for the Egyptians. And then Moses shows up and turns everything upside down. They've dehumanized these Hebrew slaves and built their economic structure and their political structure on the back of these Hebrew slaves. And now Moses comes and says, you know what? It's time to let the slaves go. And, and the Egyptians are looking at this going, this is all we've known. This is how life has been. How is it that we have to let these people go? And could it be that we've been wrong this entire time? And they refuse to let them go. The ninth play I want you to know is very unique. No one dies. No one gets sick. There's no health risks. There's no property destroyed. There's no punitive damages for rebellion. But this, I think, church, I think this is the most devastating plague up to this point because it creates a non-escapable forum for every single Egyptian to have to ask themselves this question, what if I have been wrong? This hits at the very heart, the very core of the Egyptian structure. Every Egyptian would be forced to ask themselves that question. Jump in with me, Exodus 10 and verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Church, what does darkness that can be felt mean? Have you ever been in a place where you have felt darkness? This is interesting because in two verses, darkness is mentioned four different times. And one translation actually puts it this way. They say, darkness that grabs you, or a darkness so dark that you can almost touch it. This is a direct blow against Ra. And if you know anything about Egyptian history, you know Ra is at the top of the food chain of the gods. He was the sun god, the god in control of all the other gods, the gods that kept control of all the other gods, the greatest of the Egyptian gods. He and the other gods were supposed to work together to make things happen for the Egyptians. And then now, in this short plague, these three days, Ra is taken out. Verse 23, the Egyptians did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Yah is basically saying, Ra serves me. Yahweh is saying, I am in control of Ra. And it's interesting, the Egyptians couldn't see each other. They couldn't get out of bed. They couldn't move around. There's something supernatural happening where they, even if they ignited a lamp, the light would not disperse the darkness. They were forced to stay inside. Again, I know, terribly ironic for us going through this pandemic moment. But what I want you to think this morning like an Egyptian. Ra as the head of all gods, he was this great, amazing God that would bring life and comfort to your family. Pharaoh propped himself up as Ra's spokesperson. Now life is frozen in Egypt. They couldn't leave their homes. There's no power. There's no sun coming up tomorrow. They couldn't even sing, the sun will come up tomorrow, because it wasn't. As far as they knew, lights out. For some reason, even when they lit a lamp, they couldn't project the light. And if you've been in the desert, you know that being in the desert night, it gets really cold. Can you imagine now three days and three nights with no light, nothing to warm up anybody? As an Egyptian, you believe Ra would rise across the sky, that he would rise over the sky, ride over the sky in the daytime. And then on the nighttime, he would descend to the underworld to, to quell chaos down there. If all else fails, we know. If all the other gods fail, we can always depend on Ra. And as an Egyptian, I want you to ask yourself now, how would you feel if Ra was snuffed out? How would you feel if he was snuffed out by Moses? How would you feel as if the only place you could actually see his power was no longer on the Egyptian people, but way, way off on the villages of the Israelites? All the people of Israel, the Bible said, all the people of Israel had light. In Goshen, where the slave lived, slaves lived, they had light nowhere else in Egypt. And as an Egyptian, as us as Egyptians, we would have to search our souls like never before. Now, we again, you could, you could skip over darkness and think to yourself, yeah, I can live through the darkness. Hang on. If darkness represented snuffing out your greatest God, you've got some serious soul searching to do. 
you are impacted theologically. You're asking questions like, what if we pick the weaker God here? What if Ra, our greatest God, isn't as great as Yahweh? What if, what if Ra loves Israel more than he loves us? Now the sun is on their side, not on our side. You'd be faced with some painful questions politically. What if Pharaoh no longer speaks for the greatest God? What if Moses speaks for the greatest God? And Moses likes Israel, not us. You'd be faced with some painful moral questions at this point. The biggest one being, if Ra likes Israel more than us, we haven't been treating them so well. How does Ra feel about us now that he obviously loves them more than us? I think we are in trouble. We've been oppressing the people Ra is now defending. And emotionally, you would be impacted. You would be asking yourself questions like, what's our card to play here? How do we make this right? What if we have been wrong? this whole time? What if Pharaoh's not who he claims to be? What if Ra's not who he claims to be? What if our society is built on the backs of these people that thus a more powerful God loves more than us? Can you feel the pain as an Egyptian person? Everything you believed in, your core set of values and beliefs is now being questioned. And listen, church, this plague is amazing and impacting because it drives the Egyptians to ask themselves that difficult question, what if we have been wrong? It's dark outside because Egypt itself is dark. But there's light in one place. There's light in the slave quarters of Israel. And so as an Egyptian, you have a choice. Stick with the Egyptians and stay in the dark or go to the light where God is shining over the people he obviously loves more than us. After three days of darkness, Moses comes back to Pharaoh and he gives him the most disturbing news. Not only does he tell him there's a worse plague coming, but he tells him something that hits Pharaoh to his very core. He says, Pharaoh, you have now a bunch of people that are defecting to Israel. Look in verse two. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man his neighbor, every woman of her neighbor, they ask them for silver and gold. God is using these plagues to get to the very heart of the matter of Egypt. Egypt needs a heart check. Israel is in need of rescue and God is an, on an evangelism tour. Israel was to tell everybody who would listen, this darkness is because of God, the one true living God. And if you want to live with us, if you want to escape Egypt with us, if you are willing to ask yourself the hard questions, you can be a part of his people too. The Egyptians that listened would have asked themselves, what if we were wrong? And if they answered honestly after these nine devastating plagues, they would defect to Israel. And I want you to know when Israel left Egypt, a bunch of Egyptians went with them. Not only did they go with them, but church, they funded the escape. They gave these Israelites silver and gold, almost like a travel tax, so that they could go with them when they left Egypt. In other words, they believed Yahweh and they rejected their way of life that they have lived in for thousands years. 
God finds no delight, church, God finds no delight in the distribution of pain. He is using these plagues for a greater purpose. He is trying to pull some people out of the dark. Look in verse three, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of his people. Do you see that? The people, at this point, you'd think they hated Moses. They hated the Israelites, but that is not the case. They have begun to transfer their loyalties to the Israelites and to Moses. Moses was a great man among the Egyptians. How do you think that made Pharaoh feel? Moses was wielding more power than Pharaoh. Moses' gods, God is more powerful than the Egyptian gods. God even gave multiple opportunities for these Egyptians to save themselves throughout the plagues. And for those Egyptians willing to reevaluate, God would welcome them as his own. They would be welcomed as the people of God. And Moses is told by God to say to Pharaoh these next words in verse 8, get out, you, Pharaoh would say this to Moses, get out you and all the people who follow you. Do you get that? Pharaoh is about to angrily say to Moses, this is after the next plague, but this is a prophecy of what's to come. You get out and all the people who have converted to you. God is always extending invitations to anyone who will listen. Listen, Noah and the ark, Noah built the ark, not for animals. He built the ark for people, but only eight people were on board. The ark was meant to save Many, but they didn't listen. The population of Egypt was invited to go with the people of God, to start a new life, to go to the promised land, to receive the blessings of God. And the population of our world is invited in the same way into the promises of God. And some are willing to ask, some are willing to turn, some are willing to, to explore that difficult question, what if I have been wrong this whole time? And that's the moment of conversion when they decide to follow Jesus Christ. As an Egyptian, if you left Israel, you would be counted as God's people. God's promises would be completely for you as well. Jesus was all about this. In the New Testament, there's an incident in John chapter seven during the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles on the last day. There was a big ceremony this last day. They, they would take a big vial up of water from the pool of Siloam all the way up to the temple. On that day, they would take that vial and, and Jesus, Jesus was there that day. And they would take the vial up from the pool of Siloam and they would pour the water at the foot of the altar. It was a, it was a symbol that they, that they did every single year, all the same time. And then after that, they had all of these torches around and they would have a festival of lighting up the lights. It was on that particular day, Jesus stood up in the temple in the middle of all of this procession and all of this pomp and circumstance. He calls them around him. And this is what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And nobody knew what he was talking about. The, the leaders of the temple didn't. But to those willing to ask themselves the question, what if we've been wrong 
this whole time. They had ears to hear, and then the priests of the temple did an amazing thing. They did a hands-on illustration by lighting up the temple in the darkness and showing to the world that Jesus is the center, is the light of the world. As an Egyptian, how would you have responded to this invitation to join Israel? This was a final moment that Moses was begging Pharaoh to, to listen. Listen, Pharaoh, are, are you willing to examine yourself? Are you willing to ask yourself, what if you've been wrong this whole time? What if you're wrong about your religion or Egypt's prominence in the world or having slaves build your kingdom for you or of your own position of authority? But Pharaoh refused to listen. He had tried fighting with the magicians. That didn't work. He tried negotiating with God. That didn't work. He even tried repenting falsely, and that didn't work. He was only left with one card left to play. When the darkness lifted and Moses came into him one more time and said, there's a plague coming worse than you can possibly imagine. He listened to Moses, and this is how he ended the conversation. In verse 28, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care to never see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. You see, Pharaoh had had enough. He tried everything he could try and nothing worked. The only thing he did not try was to bend the knee to God and he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't ask himself the question, what if I'm wrong? And so as any person does when they get to the end of their rope and they're not willing to take that final step of humility. The only thing you have to do, the only card you have left to play is you silence the voices around you. You get rid of them. It makes living in the dark so much easier when you get rid of the voices of truth. This is the disaster solution of any heart willing to live in the darkness and not question itself. Church, when, when God made Egypt dark, he's actually showing a spiritual reality through a physical reality. He is revealing what is already dark. This is what Egypt was. They had pagan ritualistic sacrifice. They worshiped idols that demanded your soul. They, had, they abused humanity. That's the slaves, the Hebrew slaves, over 600,000 of them by this point in history. They had generational racism. They had an abusive caste system. They had an insatiable hunger for power. And they had a huge disregard for the poor. How many Egyptians through their lifetimes ever sat down and said, I wonder if we're wrong about any of this? How many Egyptians were willing to ask it now? And church, some were. Only after nine devastating plagues, plagues some finally were. So here's some so what's I have for you. Number one. Church, God's light is always offered to people in dark places. There are some very dark places in this world. If you look for it, you can see God's light even in those places. But church, it has to be his light. It cannot be a false light. Sometimes when it's dark, people settle for any light at all, any glimmer of hope at all. The danger though, the danger in that, is to settle for a light with no foundational baseline. What I mean by that is you go to the wrong light. 
You go to the fake light instead of the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the intended light of God to bring light to the darkness in this world. This is the plan of God. And so if you're looking for light, it's there, but you have to find the true light, the light of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness. This true light comes from God. It ever, ever since beginning it has. In creation, when it was dark and void and there was no form, God said, let there be what, church? Yeah, let there be light. He brings light. Light brings order to chaos. And when Jesus showed up, he is the light of our lives, the light of the world. God sent his only son to show us the light that would bring us hope, the light that would show us the way, the light that would show us the truth, and the light that would give us life. Chaos needs order. And so church, we've got to invite the author of light in. This world in which we live is looking for a lot of different lights, a lot of different meanings, a lot of different things that can stuff into the, 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 the broken and lonely crevices of their soul. But the only light that will work is the light that God has provided. That is the long-term solution to a broken and dark world. Did you know if you light a single candle and put it out into a starless night, that single candle can be seen three football fields away. That is the light of Jesus Christ. He lights up the dark and more than just a single candle, he does an amazing work in any heart willing to ask that fateful question. What if I've been wrong? Number two, followers of Jesus bear the light of God. Not only is Jesus the light, but look at what he says here in Matthew 5. You are, look, church, what's it say? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a light, a light a lamp and put it under a basket. That's silly. In the dark, you don't light a light and then put a bag over it. But they put it on a stand. Why? So that it can give light to all the people in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Church, the people of God bear the light of God. For believers, God lights us up. He intends for us to shine. There's not one Christian that God has ignited with the passion and a love for Jesus Christ that he doesn't intend to shine in the dark. Lights bring light. God places us strategically in places so that his light can be seen. Egypt had no idea how dark it was until God used all these plagues to show them. And then this final plague, as a blatantly obvious illustration, Egypt was walking in the dark. And he uses the light of his people to show them where the light is. Other people who thought they knew the light had to find out the light was elsewhere. Number three, followers of Jesus are lit up to overcome the dark. We are not just ignited by God. 
with a light so that we can shine in the dark, so that we can hope that we make a difference. That's true, but it's more than that. Light overcomes dark. It never works the other way around. And so I wanna ask you, church, I wanna make this real practical. Do you these days feel the darkness? Because I sure do. I can't even watch the news anymore because the darkness permeates off the screen and sinks its claws into my chest. I think thoughts like, how can I bring light to injustice? How can I bring light to a politically polarizing culture that says I have to hate one party and love the other? How can I bring darkness to, to others when I struggle with so much darkness in myself? How can I bring light to a world that just seems confusing and scary when all I wanna do is protect my own family? In our sermon prep this week, we sat down together and, and we, we were broken over the events that our world is going through, the darkness that is coming out and permeating into the world. I feel it, don't you? Don't you feel the dark at times? I feel the hatred, I feel the division, I feel the polarization, I feel the anger of those trying to be the voice of George Floyd and many others like him. I feel the distress of good police officers decrying the actions of law officers who knelt on the back of a gentleman for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I feel the frustration of people who constantly cry out for a fair judicial system and equal opportunities, but feel they never heard. I feel the darkness of a city where I live in. We're halfway, we're not even halfway through the year and we already have a thousand people, uh, victims of gunshot crime. And this is not even the middle of the year. I feel the satanic roots of opposition and demonization to my black and brown brothers and sisters. I feel the, this, the cries of the abused sold into sex trade. I feel the screams of people around the world who are persecuted to the point of death just because they want to worship. I feel the weight of innocence denied the grace of being born who have no voice at all. I feel the creation that groans under the weight of all this sin. And I feel the cry of that creation groaning for the moment of Jesus' return where we make all things right. This is why we finish every service with one phrase, be the church. Darkness never overcomes the light. Light always wins. Jesus is explained this to us. His essence of being the light in John 1 verse 4. John writes about Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The people of God bear the light of God into a dark world. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, Craig, where do I start? I want to make a difference. I'd like for my light to shine a little bit more. I'm willing to ask myself, what if I'm wrong on some things? I'm willing to take that step. Sure, okay, where do I start? Well, I'd encourage you to be like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. Be like an Egyptian. Facing this life-altering plague. First of all, go to the light. You can't, you can't begin this journey until you find the true light. Start there. Simply begin by asking the question, have I been wrong? 
Is Jesus everything he claims to be? Is he the life? Is he the truth? Is he the way? Is he who he claims to be, the son of the living God? Until you find the true light, you'll never find sense in anything else. And you'll never find meaning in any flicker around you. Deny that lean we all have to allow culture to determine whether we're right or wrong. Allow the God of the Bible to continually enlighten you over the issues of this world. If you're confused as to where you should stand on an issue, crack the Bible open. Because God talks about everything in there. If you doubt that, you have not been tracking with us over this time period when we're talking about the plagues. Because who would have thought these 10 plagues would be so applicable to what our world is going through today? Find the light. Two, dwell in the light. Find a group of people who love the light as much as you do and stick with them. Find a group of people that you can participate with to light up the world. We, we just did hope for Venezuela. Uh, brothers and sisters at a church in Venezuela, we just sent them an offering. Our church is amazing in doing this. We were able to send them a little gift that allowed them to open up their food pantry that they had to shut down because people in Venezuela not only are dealing with COVID, they're starving. And we were able to help them start a, start this restart this ministry that they had to shut down. At Christmas, we were able to collect a, an offering and, and donate some money to help those of victims of of abuse in Carroll Stream. Listen, we are looking constantly at Village Church for how we can be a light in the darkness. And if you if you want to be a light, find some other people that want to be a light as well. John 1, 1 John 1, 5 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Being the light means we have the power to have fellowship, and we need to take advantage of fellowshipping with other people who walk in the light as well. Like the Egyptians, rise up to the occasion. Rise to bear the light. Be the ball. Be the light. Be the ball. And how best to do this? Start by loving. There's a quote I heard. It goes like this. Hate adds a deeper dis darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only love can do that. Martin Luther King. Can I just give you two warnings? Number one, do not categorize. Stay away from categorizing people. It is the easy, culturally acceptable, and unloving way when we categorize each other, when we dismiss each other and their viewpoints around us. It is Pharaoh's way of doing business. When you can't negotiate, when you can't uh, when you can't do false repentance, when you can't fight, then then just shut them up. We got to fight against that. Listen, to say that a person is a Republican or a Democrat is the easy way out. Oh, I'm not going to listen to them because they're a Republican. I'm not going to listen to them because they're a Democrat. That's just silly. And it's the easy way out. To give in to one side simply because they are in the majority is the easy way out. To allow difference of thought to divide our relationships is the easy way out. To label someone else so that you can defriend them, so you don't have to listen to them, that's the easy way out. And there's no love in that. It is too easy to throw each other into buckets. Love resists this. Love resists throwing people into a bucket. 
And quite frankly, throwing people into these culturally labeled buckets kicks everything out of what Jesus would do. Here's what we should do, church. Risk. We need to risk starting with a little soul searching. God hates the darkness. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. God hates the darkness so much he gave his son to dispel it. He gave Jesus, Jesus gave his life to overcome it. And we have the opportunity to shine in it. What are you willing to risk to dispel the darkness around you in the world? Church, do you feel like the world is dark? Is it dark? You bet it is. And it may not be getting lighter anytime soon. <laughs> but darkness just makes the light there is more obvious. Church, darkness just makes the light that there is more obvious. And the church is rising up and they should through the darkness that surrounds us at this time in our history. So church, here's what I wanna ask. Where is God in the dark? Where is God in the dark? If you know Jesus Christ, grab a mirror. Because Jesus is the light of the world and he has lit you up. The light in the dark is best seen in those who follow Jesus. It's best seen when they love those hardest to love. The darkness has not filtered away God's love. God brings light into the darkness. It's what he does. And church, you can too. Bring light to the dark. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful that we got to this last plague right before the biggie. Easy to go over because no one dies. No one gets sick. No livestock are taken out. No property destroyed. But one of the most difficult because it forces the Egyptians to do some soul searching and God, that hurts us as human beings the most. So forgive us, forgive us. And we repent for thinking that we don't have anything to look at in our own hearts. Help us, Father, to be willing to always ask the question as followers of Jesus Christ, what is my responsibility as a light in this dark world? What is the responsibility of my family to be a light in this dark world. Help us not to run from the darkness, but to run into it because we have the light that overcomes the dark and help us to rise up as the church and light this world up with the love that flows through your spirit, through us, to others, some very difficult to love, but all who you love. So Father, help the church to rise up for such a time as this. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.